It is an unfortunate fact that the elderly are taken advantage of every day. While the estate planning and government assistance laws are quite complex and ever-changing, how do you keep track of them all? Through elder law attorney Michael Cohen. He's there for you to answer any of your planning questions in a way that you and your loved ones will easily understand. Mike has devoted his entire career to dutifully informing and protecting our parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles, anyone in need. Join us now to learn more about estate planning essentials with Michael Cohen and co-host Don Crawford Jr. Here now are Michael and Don. And my name is Don Crawford Jr., the appreciative owner of KAAM Radio and co-host of the State Planning Essentials program, assertively seeking to protect your family, your assets, and you. And I say to my co-host, my attorney, my very good friend, who should be your at least attorney, Michael Cohen. Hello, Michael. Hello, Don. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Thank you. Happy day to you. It's warming up out there. We're getting into the hundreds, and it's only June. How do you like that? I, I, can you imagine that in Dallas, Texas, it'd be in hundreds in the summer? I know, right, exactly. <laughs> but it's June a little early. I wasn't expecting it that soon. When producer Chris walked in, I wasn't sure if he just took a shower or he was sweating just by walking in the door. It was so hot out. I know. I went to, uh, last yesterday, we were um, uh, driving in the car. My, my wife uh, likes it hot. I mean, anything under 80 degrees, she has to probably put on a sweater. Wow. I, I think there's a conspiracy out there and I, I, between women, and I'm not really sure, but I haven't been able to kind of crack it open to find out for sure. But I think that all wives, at least, they or significant others, perhaps, uh, they before they go to sleep at night, I think that they put their hands and feet in the freezer. <laughs> well, I like it cold. I like icicles basically growing on my eyelashes while I'm sleeping. Um, I don't know why, I just do. And it gets warmer over time because of the body heat and things like that. But um, everybody's different, I guess. Yeah, yeah. We, so we were in, driving in the car. Uh, we'd gone to dinner. And um, uh, in on you know, the temperature on the, the thermometer on the car said... Uh, 98 degrees mm-hmm. uh, at night, and the uh, uh, she said, well, we don't need the air conditioning for this. I mean, that shows you how, yeah. how warm. Right. Uh, I mean, she likes it wow. really warm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Well, uh, that's the way that is. Um, obviously, you've worked around it because you've been married how long? 25, yeah. 30 years or it's so? Some of the best years of my life, right? Yeah. Uh, 1998, yes. 2002. Eh, the <laughs> exactly. We won't broadcast that, though, of course, okay. by any means. <laughs> anyway, what we will broadcast broadcast is that wonderful topic that I love when you talk about it because I always learn so much about it because it seems like it's such a panacea for so many people and it's very special to the state of Texas and a few other states in this country. And Michael, let's talk about that thing called ladybird deeds. Yeah, first I ought to explain what a ladybird deed probably is. And by the way, it's not really after named after Ladybird Johnson, as most people think. Uh, and an elder law attorney in Florida actually was teaching a course. And a lot of times, like in law school, they have fictional names. And he used the fictional name Ladybird, and it stuck. Hmm. And so anyway, a ladybird deed is what's called an enhanced life estate deed, an enhanced life estate deed. So a life estate deed is I deed to, let's say, my children upon my death. 
but an enhanced life estate deed, we retain you retain uh, more control. So a life estate, then the, if it was just a regular life estate deed, and just like I was talking about just a second ago, then the children would have what's called a remainder interest immediately. But if you have an enhanced life estate deed, you say, I retain control. I could sell the property if I want. I could mortgage the property if I want. I could lease the property if I want. In fact, I could change my mind and deed it to somebody else or sell the property or whatever. Um, I could change my mind. I have total control. So a lot of times uh, people want to avoid probate. If their only asset was their home, uh, they may want to avoid probate. And so by that deed, which you did not lose any tax benefits, when I say tax benefits, a lot of times people have uh, an exemption for over 65 besides being the homestead or if you're disabled, uh, they have that exemption. They don't want, they want today's days, you know, where the property taxes are going so high, uh, t- Dallas is in particular, in this area, we have the highest property tax uh, uh, taxes in the state as mm. far as the rate. So uh, it's very important to keep that exemption. Also, if you retain a property until you die, then uh, you get what's called a step-up in basis. So let's say somebody bought a home for $100,000, and um, they, when they died, it was worth 300000 uh, the heirs would not have to pay capital gains tax on the appreciation if it's retained uh, in um, by that owner. Mm-hmm. And it also should be mentioned, too, that if you're married, Texas is a community property state, and as a community property state, you have what's called a full step-up in basis, a full step-up in basis. So in other words, let's say that the husband and wife bought that property for 100000 and when the husband died, it was 300000 If the wife uh, retained the property uh, until she died, it, and it was worth 400000 that's $300,000 of appreciation that the children would not have to pay capital gains tax. Great. So whereas if you're in a, a, a state, uh, a, a more, I'll call it a common law state, or a state that does not have community property, then you only get what's called a half step up. You only get your half so um, so there is an advantage, and then so a lot of times we have to consider these different tax issues in our planning, and it's not just probate avoidance, it's also the tax issues. I'm glad you brought up the probate avoidance. Just for the record, uh, for 101 purposes, why does someone want to avoid probate in the first place? Well, they don't want to have to go to court and have delays. But sometimes it's necessary. Uh, you know, one of the biggest problems is usually when you have children from a different marriage. Mm-hmm. When you have children from a different marriage, you know, a lot of times you have a husband, wife, and and let's say the husband had children from a prior marriage, and the uh, wife's living in the home. They may even have bought the home together. Husband dies. Uh-oh. Husband dies? What happens there? Well... The if you don't probate a will, or if you don't have it in a trust, well, we didn't go into the trust issues. If you don't probate a will, then the wife might be partners with the husband's children mm-hmm. under laws of intestacy. Mm-hmm. But if the will says house all goes to my spouse, well, then you probate the will so the house goes all to the spouse. And a lot of people misunderstand that. They just assume that if they're married, that that house is theirs. Mm-hmm. Now, you do have a, what's called a life estate. 
A life under the Texas Constitution, you have a right to, even if, let's say, uh, 80-year-old marries a 30-year-old, and the 30-year-old, um, uh, you know, lives in the home for a year. It was 80-year-old's uh, property, uh, and then um, he dies. I'm just going to say he. Maybe I should have said she dies. Mm-hmm. But whatever the case may be, uh, the uh, the wife or the other the spouse uh, would have a right to live there, much to the chagrin of the husband's children, <laughs> who may have been older than the 30-year-old yeah, wife. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> so it's important to know this because, there's, you know, we've had situations where the children of the first marriage says, I don't care, I want that spouse, that stepmom or stepdad out of there as soon as possible. You know, of course, I powered my Texas queen soon is mm-hmm. a three-syllable word. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so that's n- not unusual. So mm-hmm. it is important to sometimes have a will or a trust to dictate whatever it is that you want. Uh, now, Lady Bird Deeds might not, uh, even though you might have a joint Lady Bird Deed, sometimes that you have to look at the facts. So you may do different planning. You have to look at the facts, and so you just can't, uh, for you attorneys out there, we're going to go through a lot of different uh, scenarios, which could be that you have to consider and not just think of, okay, I'm just going to do a joint ladybird deed, or I could do an individual ladybird deed, or should I do a trust, or whatever the Mm -hmm. case may be. Tell us those considerations, because it sounds complicated. Yeah, there's a lot of different things that you have to think about, and most people quite frankly, don't. Mm-hmm. And they just say, oh, you know, it's just kind of like on the transfer on debt deeds. Oh, we'll just have this simple thing, or I'll just have a paid-on-debt account at my bank. And they don't think about all the different ramifications that may occur. Or maybe I'll just have a joint account with my child, and then my child gets sued or whatever. All the different things that people really don't even consider. They just say, I just want someone to write my checks or whatever. Anyway, so there's a lot of things that you should always consider in any kind of uh, planning option uh, before you look, before you leap. Well said. Okay. Well, good to know that. Well, tell us some of those. Well, first of all, I'm going to say on this first case, the uh, where they were going to do mom and dad are both in a nursing home. Um, they have powers of attorney. By the way, that uh, with a power of attorney, uh, I, I, I should probably explain what a transfer on death deed is. A transfer on death deed says it goes to so-and-so after I die, let's say children. Sounds simple, sounds like a ladybird deed, but it's a lot different. Maybe on a, a, another show, I think I'm going to talk about the problems with a transfer on death de- deed, so stay tuned for future shows. Um, with a power, One of the problems, with it, by the way, with a transfer on death deed is you cannot use a power of attorney to create a transfer on debt deed. Hmm. Now, a power of attorney, for those who don't know, a general durable power of attorney, or at least one that deals with real estate, says, I, during my lifetime, give somebody else the authority to act for me, usually when they're disabled. In this case, um, mom and dad, who now are elderly, had prepared a power of attorney. We did not prepare the power of attorney. Uh, and so uh, they had several kids. Both mom and dad are now in a nursing home. And the reason why we wanted to uh, do a ladybird deed was because after mom and dad die, under the Medicaid rules, where Medicaid helps pay for long-term care costs, even though a home doesn't count as an asset, if you're married, there's no limit. If you're single, the limit is $636,000. The, 
the state would have a right after their death to make a claim to get repaid for the benefits advanced if it either goes by will or intestacy in Texas. Some states have what's called liens, where they could go after it no matter what. Mm. But in Texas, we're one of the few states, as you mentioned, that has a lady bird deed uh, where they only go after things that go by will or intestacy. Well, what did we say at the very beginning of this show? And that was, this avoids probate. So here we've avoided probate, had it tax neutral. You had the step up in basis. You kept your property tax exemption. You don't have to go to court to probate the will. And then it goes to the children, in this example, after death. So you've saved this, let's say in this case, it was a uh, $350,000 home from the, a successful claim by the government if you could do a Lady Birdie. But oh, not so fast. Uh-oh. Let's talk about what happened here. So they gave us the powers of attorney. Oh, and they had two different powers of attorney, one, uh, one for mom, one for dad. And the one for mom had, a, had one child, the one for dad had another child. Now, when you have a power of attorney, if you're going to act to sign as an agent for, uh, for that lady bird deed, you have to record it in the county where the property is located. The original has to be recorded in the county where the property was located. Well... Problem number one, we can't tell if it's an original. Now, the county has some sort of machine. I don't know what it is. They could tell if it's an original. Now, in this case, actually, we did not know. We know that mom lacks mental capacity, and dad, we think, has capacity. All right. So we send off the power of attorney to the county clerk for recording. County clerk says, this is not an original. Oh, so and client can't find the original. Mm. Well, without the original, we can't save the home for the, for if, especially if the wrong spouse dies first. By the way, if there's a surviving spouse, at least under the Medicaid rules, if the right spouse died first, then then, if, in other words, if uh, dad had capacity, he could always just do a lady bird deed himself. Or if you had the, um, if mom's power of attorney was good, she could have done a lady bird deed if it was the original. Okay. We're lucky in this case uh, in the fact that the, prob- the power of attorney that was bad was dad's. Uh, because dad still, we ha- we think, has capacity. Now, it's important that he have capacity. He has to know what he's signing. So what do we do then? We usually get a doctor who specializes in the mind to sign an affidavit saying that the per- they've examined the person, they have enough capacity to execute the document. Why is that important? Oh, he could, dad could always sign. Well, he has to know what he's signing. Right. And if you don't, you know, obviously it shouldn't be good. And uh, attorneys should be asking the questions. Um, you know, the uh, a lot of times at title companies will look. Is it shaky handwriting? They'll ask to find out if they're, they won't issue good title because they don't want to risk liability. They are insuring, so they want to know what they're insuring before they, right. before they uh, insure. So uh, there was another problem with this power of attorney, by the way. The notary... I I don't know where they had it notarized, but the notary made a mistake. Mm. How can the notary make a mistake? Well, what does it say? First of all, you have to have the exact language that Texas has for the what's called the jurat. So when you record it, you have to have the language that the state wants to have. 
Mm-hmm. Well, it says, I so-and-so witnessed so-and-so sign. But they got the wrong names. In other words, the notary said, I so-and-so being the the uh, uh, the person signed the power of attorney as opposed to being the notary. Oh, no. So now you got to locate the notary. Oh, my. And you have to have the notary. Maybe the notary can... Uh, you know, mark it out, put their names, and then hopefully make it retroactive to that date to overcome that. Little bitty thing. Sometimes, you know, this is what concerns me in a do-it-yourself world sometimes Mm -hmm. because a lot of times people say, ah, no big deal. And then, and and most of the times, most most notaries, it's really not a difficult thing to do. Most notaries don't have an issue, but um, in this case, uh, people make mistakes, and so this is one of the mistakes that we see. I find it fascinating. Um, I've known you for a long time now, and you like that phrase, little bitty, and it's a good balance because it's. It shows who you are personally and privately, and you'll use phrases like that, non-attorney, non-big-shot phrases, and I really appreciate that about you. And little bitty in legal terms means a lot, because all it takes is one little bitty mistake like that, and then all heck breaks loose, and everyone suffers their problems, and then what, Michael? Then what happens? Well, you know, in this case, we did talk about what happens, (laughs) and we said, what can be our solutions if this didn't occur? Mm -hmm. Well, for Medicaid estate recovery, I had a plan B. Uh Well, first of all, what was the solution on this Mm -hmm. case? Well, we're getting Dad to have be evaluated, make sure he has capacity, and Dad will sign individually, and the other power of attorney, which was for the wife who lacks capacity, will record that one, which is the original. But even if that didn't work, we had a plan B. The plan B is there's other exceptions to Medicaid estate recovery. It so happens that one of the four children uh, is uh, living in the home. Mm-hmm. And under Texas law, under the Texas Constitution, this goes back way back to the agrarian days of the Texas Constitution. If you have an unmarried adult child uh, living in the home for at least one year prior to the death of the Medicaid recipient, then it, it avoids a successful claim by the government. So we would show the util- utility record. So I said, mm-hmm. okay, I said to client, okay, your brother, this is the deal. He can't get married. He he can't move out of the home, and if he dies, we're going to kill him. <laughs> I think two out of three are meetable, <laughs> but the third one. Yeah, right, right, right. So, so those are the conditions. So you have to. Uh, if we did that, then right. we would have also had Plan B. But it looks like that we're going to be able to go with Plan A anyway. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, and I told him, okay, let's keep. Now we got to keep the utility records mm-hmm. and all the different things that the state may require. So it's a lot more work. Whereas if we just had a good lady birdie to begin with, mm-hmm. those are routinely when we send a le- after somebody dies, the state sends this five-page questionnaire, and then we show, hey, we got an exception law. Here's mm-hmm. the law. Here's the exception. Go away. Withdraw the claim. We'll show that to a title company when we sell the property, and so no problem. I think on a, at least a monthly basis you have for years always create this theater of the mind for me when people like that are older like you and me, uh, unlike producer Chris. I don't know how Chris is like thirty five, and you and I are almost. In, I'm in. A, I'm almost I, in my sixties. I'm an elder, elder law attorney. Okay, you're elder, elder. So, but I always imagine, or often imagine, 
when you lay out all these options, that candy machine, and you have all these levers to pull, which one do you want to pull? Which one's going to work for you? And sometimes you say, oh, don't pull that not so fast, my friend, because sometimes that's not going to work for you, even though it looks like on the surface that's the right thing to do. And that's what you do with all of your clients. Thank goodness you did it for me. You've done it for thousands of other people over the years, which I'm really grateful for. And this is what the listeners to this program, this podcast, need to understand. And that's why they need to attend your next workshop. That is an in-person workshop, and that is on Saturday, June the 18th at 10 o'clock. That is on Saturday, July the 16th at 10 o'clock. And these, this is an estate planning essentials workshop, and it allows people to basically, what, Michael, ask you questions about their circumstances? Anything they want to know about estate planning. Could be, you know, it's not Here we talked about a little bit of combination of estate planning and Medicaid, but it could be any questions about estate planning. It could be about IRAs. It could be about wills. It could be about trust. It could be about veterans benefits. It could be about Medicaid benefits. We never know. It could be about certain tax issues. We never know the questions that people ask. And as Bryce at my, uh, who usually assists me at the workshop, always says, and and others who've been of assistance to me in the past, uh, when we do the workshop, I say I learn something new every workshop because every workshop is different, right. and I, I and I like it because people ask me questions. I have no idea what the questions are going to be, and I'm mm-hmm. just going to answer them on the spot. Mm-hmm. And the uh, and we'll have, but all we'll, oh, we will have a presentation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll have a brief presentation, and we'll see what questions. It's going to be a workshop, not a seminar, because we do ask questions. And it's interactive, and you're going to learn from the questions that other people might ask. Mm-hmm. We never know uh, which what questions are going to be. We've been doing this for uh, since 2000, end of 2012. Wow. Uh, 12. Yeah, years. Okay. yeah, almost almost ten years now. Uh-huh. It was in December when the law was during the. Uh, there was a lot of concern during the Obama administration whether they were going to re- reduce the estate tax hmm. uh, from five million to one million. Now, the way, by the way, it's twelve million sixty thousand. So a lot of a lot of people had a lot of scares. Were scared to death uh, about trying to plan. They had a site and they said, "Oh, gee, I wonder what do I want to do." And so we thought we ought to have a workshop to discuss it. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, so we started doing that workshop then, and we've been doing it. Here it is, almost ten years later. We're still doing them. Excellent. Well, congratulations for that. Uh, we got about five minutes left in the show, but this is State Planning Essentials Workshop. You should sign up for Again, it's Saturday, June the 18th at 10 o'clock. It's Saturday, July 16th at 10 o'clock. To sign up for that, dial 214-720-0102, 214-720-0102, or go to DallasElderLawyer.com, Dallas Elder lawyer.com and if you don't make that workshop because they do fill up quickly uh, especially because this one's in person now versus the last two pandemic plus years um, you can just roll over to the next one so bear that in mind michael about four minutes left in the program uh, more about lady bird deeds yeah well i'm, I'm probably not going to get to all the stories here today because mm-hmm. there's so many different issues here's one that had nothing to do well maybe hardly anything to do with medicaid Husband and wife had a revocable living trust, a revocable living trust, a trust they could always revoke or amend. Now, typically, and it's not unusual in a revocable trust, you say, what happens when the first spouse dies or becomes disabled? Many times people say, at least it's that person's share, it becomes irrevocable so that somebody can't change your estate plan. 
Um, in this case, we, I, I think that we thought that now they were married, but they had no children. Um, the We had taken the property out of the trust. Maybe we thought that husband uh, was may need to have care. Oh, if you put a home in a revocable living trust for Medicaid, it counts as a resource. So we had to take If we thought that that was a possibility, we decided to take it out so it wouldn't count as a resource. Remember, if you're married, there's no limit. All right, so we did that, and we just did a ladybird deed, which would go right back to the trust. Now, remember, on the ladybird deed, it says there, it's a life estate interest, a life estate interest that you could change your mind, though, right? All right, so now husband dies, husband died, and um, the wife wants to change the trust. Well, I told you it becomes irrevocable, the least language in this particular trust, mm -hmm. as to his half. Now, luckily, there's not much cash. She said, I don't want that no good sister-in-law to get my uh, part of the home. Mm -hmm. I want my family to get it. <laughs> well, well, with the so in this case, remember I talked about if there were children from a different marriage, it might be an issue. But you could either probate a will or you could do what's called, if there's no debts owed, an affidavit of heirship, an affidavit of heirship. So the interest of the husband in this case goes to the wife, mm -hmm. or at least it shows. Uh, I mean, it could be controverted. Somebody could sue to say, no, they're not. that's not the spouse or whatever. But uh, at least we would try to show that now she is the heir. You have to say there's no debts. There was no debts owed. And remember, with a Lady Burdita, you could change her mind. Since it's outside the trust and not inside the trust, she will be able to change that part, but not the part inside the trust. So by that Lady Burdita, she was able to change things. Now, remember, it was only a life estate interest, and it didn't go into the trust until both of them died the way it was written. Got it. Uh, there's different ways to write Lady Bird Deeds where mm -hmm. you can say where half goes automatically to the trust if you wanted to, but that's not the way this one was written. And so, therefore, she was she's going to be able to accomplish her goal, at least as far as the home and anything else that's outside the trust. The biggest mistake that people often make is failing to fund a trust. In other words, retitle the assets in the name of the trust. Mm -hmm. So, in this case, they had only a nominal amount in the trust. So, Unfortunately for the husband, when they had that, whoever created that trust, they didn't fund it with very much. And that works to the detriment, in this case, of the husband's sister. There's that little itty-bitty thing, renaming, putting, it, putting the title of trust in the right proper name um, to make certain that it's done properly, it's, it's transferred properly, etc. Those little itty-bitty things need to be addressed in your circumstances, too, because it all takes one little thing, one little comma, one little change, uh, one little thing you didn't see that maybe attorney would give him something to hang his hat on, and he'll run with it, and then you go to probate, or you have problems, you're going to get sued, and then that's insult to death, and we don't need that. So attend Michael's next workshop in person on Saturday, June the 18th at 10 o'clock. On Saturday, July the 16th at 10 o'clock, dial 214-720-0102, go to DallasElderLawyer.com. Our Dallas Elder Lawyer, Michael Cohen. We thank you, sir. Thank you, Don.
leading estate planner practicing law for decades in Dallas, Texas, Michael Cohen is ready to educate you about the Texas and federal laws. The next step to that end is to attend his next workshop by going to his website, which is DallasElderLawyer.com. That's DallasElderLawyer.com and sign up for that free estate planning essentials workshop. Or you can also call him by dialing 214-720-0102. That's 214-720-0102. A talk show host on KAAM for eight years now, Michael Cohen is the person you want to evaluate what could currently be a rather insufficient estate plan. Make certain that is not the case and that it is created and completed your way by signing up for his next free workshop today.